Welcome to Angels and Seerstones. I'm Christine. And I'm Chris. In this episode, we discuss stories about Latter-day Saints raising the dead and discuss the traditional Latter-day Saint idea that in the millennium, as angels, we too may have the opportunity to resurrect our loved ones. Latter-day Saints are a people of radical faith. We are a unique body of Bible-believing Christians. For us, the scriptural canon has been opened. The traditional sacraments have expanded. Our beliefs and practices are steeped in universalism, esotericism, and apocalypticism. The Latter-day Saint tradition is a religion in which angels visit everyday people, and sometimes men and women see the divine in stones. In this podcast, we examine lived religion of Latter-day Saints, the stories we tell, and the beliefs we debate. We take seriously the whole gambit of Latter-day Saint experience. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Angels and Seers Hey guys, we created an Instagram page. Stop what you're doing now and follow us. We hope this will be a new way to engage with our audience. We'll be sharing quotes, topics, and stories that don't appear on our weekly episodes. Okay, we've got a joke. This was recorded by Burt Wilson decades ago. Two missionaries run into a Protestant minister who asks them to prove their authority. Gentlemen, I have here a glass of poison. If you will drink the poison and remain alive, I will join your church, not only myself, but my entire congregation. But if you won't drink the poison, well then I'll conclude that you are false ministers of the gospel, because surely your Lord wouldn't let you perish. And so this put the missionaries in a kind of bind. They went off into a corner and they got their heads together and they thought, what on earth are we going to do? So finally, after they decided, they went back over and approached the minister and said, tell you what, we've got a plan. You drink the poison and we'll raise you from the dead. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like that joke. Yeah, it's kind of silly. And what I like about it, that it highlights some of the tensions that arise when Latter-day Saint missionaries encounter leaders of another faith. And that could be an entire episode I've got quite a few great and awkward stories to share. Nice. I think lots of missionaries have these. But the joke also relates to our topic today. We're talking about raising the dead. All right, let's get into it. There are a lot of stories about raising the dead that we see circulating through LDS history. In a speech from 2000, President Oaks stated that there are only two accounts of this miracle in the church's published literature. And of course, this may have been true of the literature published by the church, but the oral tradition has many, many more. Before we get too far into this, I want to acknowledge that we are treading on sacred ground. In this same speech from President Oaks, he says, the miracle of raising someone from the dead is so exceptional and so sacred that those who have been privileged to see it should never speak of it publicly unless the spirit specifically induces them to do so. That's right. This is a subject to be handled with care, not only by believers, but by others who simply want to show respect to their fellow humans. As those of you who listened to the earlier episodes of our podcast know, I lost my mom this summer after she succumbed to ovarian cancer. I'm still heartbroken. I've had some really hard days between July and now, and I miss my mom desperately. These stories are about people like me dealing with grief and heartache. This isn't about a fantasy of having great power, some sort of strange necromancy, It's about craving a reunion with our loved ones, about conquering death. 
And at least for the stories we plan on sharing, our storytellers deserve compassion. They are about grief. However, these stories also allow us better to understand the official beliefs of Latter-day Saints and how they play out on the ground, how principles become personal belief and intimate experiences. And of course, this is an old belief that predates Latter-day Saints by thousands of years. Elijah in the Old Testament raises the dead in the book of 2 Kings. The power to raise the dead is bestowed by Jesus onto the 12 apostles. And most famously in the gospel, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but also raises Jairus' daughter and others. In Acts, Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. The Book of Mormon also includes a raising from the dead in the Book of Helaman. That's right. It's all over the scriptures. And it's also all over early church history. You know, these stories date back to the 19th century and extend to the 20th century, both successful and unsuccessful attempts to raise the dead. There are probably stories about successful attempts to raise the dead in the 20th century, or excuse me, the 21st century. I'm not aware of them. Let's share a story that I really like. This is from the folk hero apostle Matthew Cowley, who often told stories of his service among the Maori in New Zealand. I was called to a home in a little village in New Zealand one day. There, the Relief Society sisters were preparing the body of one of our saints. They placed his body in front of the big house, as they call it, the house where people come to wail and weep and mourn over the dead. When in rushed the dead man's brother, he said, administer to him. And the young native said, why, you shouldn't do that. He's dead. You do it. The younger native got down on his knees and he anointed this man. Then this great old sage got down and blessed him and commanded him to rise. You should have seen the Relief Society sisters scatter. He sat up and said, send for the elders. I I don't feel very well. We told him he had just been administered to. And he said, oh, that was it. He said, I was dead. I could feel life coming back into me, just like a blanket unrolling. He outlived the brother that came in and told us to administer to him. So I think this is interesting that there are several raising the dead stories that come out of the Pacific Islands perhaps a part of a larger miracle tradition centered there. I think that's right. And if you have stories about miracles in the Pacific Islands, we would love to speak to you. Yeah. In the 19th century, critics of the tradition would tell stories of failed attempts to raise the dead or times when they believed an LDS minister pretended to have this power. This is something Matthew Bowman points out in his article on raising the dead. According to a report in the Waterton Daily Times, there was an incident in which Orson Pratt raised a young woman from the dead, yet recent converts responded by not showing up at church because they believed the scene was a ruse. The article says that converts, quote, doubted the miracle. I think this idea of doubted the miracle means exactly that, that they thought that Orson Pratt was trying to play a trick, staging a miracle for them. While many of the stories told by critics were second or third hand, in fairness, Many stories recorded in personal journals also detail failed attempts to raise the dead. Right. It's a promised power of the priesthood, so it makes sense the heartbroken people would try to recover their loved ones. But in these stories, believers typically discover that God seldom allows the dead to return to the world of the living. Let's look at one of these stories. This is from the writings of William E. Abbott, a bishop in Mesquite, Arizona. He's describing an event following the death of Leonard Ernest Pulsifer who was the husband of the famous LDS historian Juanita Brooks. This story is set in the early 20th century. 
I had announced the time of the funeral and full arrangements were made. People began assembling from our town as well as from neighboring towns. I was at the church waiting for the family to come with the corpse. Presently, the father and brother of the dead man came up to see me and they said they were not willing to have Ernest buried and wanted me to come down to the house and bring a number of the elders. They said they believed he was to live. Apostle Ballard had promised him life and they felt that he was to be called back to life. I went to the ranch two miles away where the body was lying. There I met about 40 or 50 men and boys. I conversed with the family and the wife of the young man. They felt that he could and should be called back to life. A grave responsibility was upon me. It was so sudden. I stood upon the porch in front of the house and spoke to the ground. I, I said, brothers and sisters, I know that such things have been done and can be done again, but I am not certain what the will of the Lord is in this case. However, all who have faith that such can be may enter the room. They did so. We formed a circle around the casket and I asked each to take his turn in prayer. But I said, I don't want any one of you to attempt to call him back unless you be moved upon to do so by the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. We each took our turn in prayer and at or near the close of the session, Ernest's dear wife and his youngest brother Howard walked up arm in arm, knelt beside the casket. Each of them took a turn in prayer and they pled earnestly with the Lord to permit him to return but all of no avail. I then advised that we all return to the church and hold the funeral services and lay the body away. I did not know to what extent, if any, would I be censored for such a vain attempt. This is heartbreaking. Of course, the wife begging for her husband's return is Juanita Brooks herself. Importantly, Bishop Abbott later told Melvin J. Ballard, that he had done this because he had been told that Ballard had promised that the dead man would be healed of his cancer. Ballard told him that he had promised the young man nothing, but he would one day receive. Presumably, Ballard meant in the resurrection. Recently, a friend told me another story. This one set in the 21st century. That's particularly useful for understanding the way many Latter-day Saints think of raising the dead. I heard about the tragic passing of a young man in a nearby ward who had died in a motorcycle accident just prior to getting ready to serve a mission. He had just graduated high school and this had a devastating impact on his family. I heard as well that the father, his dad, began to have dreams filled with scriptural symbolism and in these dreams he was visited by some kind of messenger. Now I don't know if this messenger was an angel or Jesus Christ himself. But this messenger in these dreams taught the grieving father the ordinance of the resurrection. Now, later at the funeral, which was held in an LDS chapel after the viewing and after some preliminary remarks had been made, the father asked all the kids to leave and be gathered in a different area in the church building. And he explained to those still remaining the dreams that he had and the impression, the very strong, overwhelming impression that he had, that he would be the one to raise his son from the dead. And after explaining the dreams and kind of his sequence of events and his grief, he explained the specific kind of liturgy that this ordinance of the resurrection would take place in which he would say his son's name, he would invoke his priesthood authority, 
and raising his arm to the square say, come forth. And he let those gathered know that he would be attempting to do such before them right then. And so standing next to his son's open casket and facing the direction of his son, he did this, invoked his name, his authority, and said, come forth. Come forth. He did it three times. And on seeing upon the third time that his son still lay deceased, his father was racked with disappointment. He collapsed on his casket weeping. And now as he cried and the room was silent, an older man, likely a grandfather figure, stood up and offered a reinterpretation of the remarks that the father had given and a reinterpretation of the instruction he had received in his dream. And he reinterpreted them. He promised that the father would raise his son from the dead, but instead of that taking place here at the funeral, it would happen at the morning of the first resurrection. And so it was a really powerful and moving display of faith, of grief and loss, but of a hope and the ability to see his son once more. So in this story, a father fails to raise his deceased son from the dead, but is instead promised that he will perform the rite in the millennium. This harkens back to an idea taught by Brigham Young, and some think implied by Joseph Smith, that the saints will resurrect one another following Christ's return. Check out this excerpt from a sermon he gave on August 24th, 1872. We are in possession of all the ordinances that can be administered in the flesh, but there are other ordinances and administrations that must be administered beyond this world. I know you would ask what they are. I'll mention one. We have not, neither can we receive here, the ordinance and the keys of the resurrection. They will be given to those who have passed off this stage of action and have received their bodies again, as many have already done and many more will. They will be ordained by those who hold the keys of the resurrection to go forth and resurrect the saints, just as we receive the ordinance of baptism, then the keys of authority to baptize others for the remission of their sins. If we ask who will stand at the head of the resurrection in this last dispensation, the answer is Joseph Smith, Jr., the prophet of God. He is the man who will be resurrected and receive the keys of the resurrection, and he will seal this authority upon others, and they will hunt up their friends and resurrect them when they shall have been officiated for and bring them up. Brigham tells us three things. First, the resurrection the process of bringing the dead from their graves and bestowing upon them permanent immortality is performed by other people, by those who have already been resurrected. Second, there's a specific ordinance or ceremony that will be revealed that will enable the resurrection. Third, and finally, the person to kickstart the resurrection will be none other than the prophet Joseph Smith. So the resurrection, at least according to Brigham Young, will likely be performed by others, not Christ directly a father raising a son, as we see in that last story. It's actually really a neat story because the father receives a revelation on how to perform the ordinance. Another time, Brigham speaks of the resurrection and states that Joseph will resurrect him and then tell him to resurrect his family. And of course, I'm hoping Joseph will resurrect his own family before running to Brigham's grave. This shows up regularly around discussion of this subject, and it fits with Latter-day Saint expectations of fathers to perform ordinances for their families. There are some objections to this idea by contemporary Latter-day Saints, and certainly among critics and ex-Mormons. The first objection is that Christ should be the one who resurrects everyone. And the objection is insightful, at least in getting to the root of what the idea of resurrection as an ordinance implies. It implies that Christ resurrects us all through the ministry of others, just like he does with other ordinances. 
It is done through his power and would be impossible without his conquering death at his own resurrection. For me, this concern reminds me of my reaction to a scene in the film, Finding Faith in Christ. In the movie, the resurrected Christ gives a blind man his sight, but places the man's daughter in front of him so that she is the first vision he has. I remember thinking that really it was Christ who we would all want to see when we're finally in his presence. But in retrospect, I think this is a beautiful scene. We're grateful to Christ because he enables our families to endure for eternity, but he's not jealous of these relationships. The old question whether someone loves their wife or their child or Jesus more is misguided. But the Mormon heaven is based on these relationships. Right. I think at the root, the Mormon heaven is family. But this isn't the only objection, of course, that we've encountered. There are others that have uh, referred to this belief as being deeply patriarchal. A woman is only resurrected based on her relationship with a man. It certainly could be used as an oppressive idea. In response, Latter-day Saint apologists have pointed out that there is no reason to think that Latter-day Saint men would have the authority to deprive a woman of her resurrection. In my own research, I found women countering the idea of male soul-performed ordinances with the idea that women perform the ordinance of embodiment as babies develop in utero and through childbirth. In that case, birth and resurrection might be viewed as complementary ordinances that usher humankind first into mortality and then into immortality. I like that a lot. Tell us that story we heard back in 2009 when we were living in Nauvoo. You know the one. Right. Uh, This was a great story, and I really wish we had recorded it at the time. But in short, it was about a man who believed that men, you know, husbands would one day be called to raise their wives from the dead to perform the ordinance of resurrection. And there must have been some sort of expression of pride in that man's recognition of his own authority, because I remember the speaker pausing and then warning the men that they are to live worthily, lest their wives not answer their call to come forth in the millennium. So here we have a story that addresses that concern, the concern of an oppressive husband. And of course, I don't know how the resurrection will occur, but I suspect many listeners have encountered this belief. And what I do love about it is that it reinforces the idea of familial connectivity and endurance. I want us to end with a powerful dream narrative from William Appleby. He recorded it in his personal diary in 1850. It contains the theme of Joseph Smith having the power to introduce us to the mystery of the resurrection. I saw myself in a building with walls and a bench setting against the north wall, and near the east wall, about the middle of the room, there appeared to be something resembling a case of these containing embalmed mummies. A person appeared in the room with a rod in his hand. He struck the case two or three times. When at his command, Joseph appeared to come forth. He was resurrected. He walked and sat down on the bench against the wall. At this time, two men appeared with him on the bench, one sitting on the right and the other on the left of Joseph. He then commenced telling about the principles of the resurrection and what he had passed through. The one sitting on his left hand and on the right of me as I stood facing them moved towards Joseph and made a motion to touch him. When Joseph moved away from him and told him not to touch him. He then desisted while Joseph detailed the principles of the resurrection. Soon after, I appeared in another room where several of the twelve appeared to be gathering among the rest, Brother Amasa, Lyman. I went to Brother Amasa, put my mouth to his ear, and communicated to him the principles Joseph had revealed, and also concerning the resurrection of Joseph that I had witnessed, for I then recollected the same. It was glorious. I awakened and could remember some part of it, 
but I soon fell asleep again, and when I awoke, the principles in regard to the resurrection that Joseph had taught were gone from me. Forgetting something you knew in a dream is a common sensation, but I really like that it's here. It plays on the idea that you might be instructed by angels in your sleep. Really, I think this shows how the resurrection is the apex of mystery in the early Latter-day Saint tradition, a mystery that God wants us to participate in. This is shown so powerfully with Appleby describing a Masonic-like scene in an Egyptian setting where the resurrection is performed in part by knocking. The ritual of resurrection is explained, and then William Appleby tries to pass it on in a ritualistic manner. Right. He whispers it, but with his mouth to the other man's ears. It's the great secret about how to restore life. He associates it with the mysteries of Egypt and applies a connection with Jesus, who, like Joseph in this story, tells someone, of course, in the case of Christ, it was Mary Magdalene, not to touch him following his resurrection. There's a lot here to unpack. And for our temple goers, you'll know what I'm talking about. But the beauty of his dream is that there's this promise of mysteries revealed. And of course, this particular mystery is the abiding hope of all Christians, that someday we will be resurrected and made whole to live with Christ and our loved ones again. This is a key to the Latter-day Saint idea of God. He wants us to participate in every aspect of his work. Of course, some will see this as blasphemy, but I think it's really a key aspect that lays at the heart of the Latter-day Saint faith. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this week. See you next week. See you then. Angels and Seerstones is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. You can support this podcast and others in our network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com.